Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Good morning, everyone. You probably recognized in that text, or at least saw it, that the uh, phrase, he will be great, is underlined. Now that was for emphasis, and I'm sure John did that for us, because that's the theme of what I want to talk about this morning. Now the statement that's being made is being made by the angel Gabriel, and he's talking to Mary, and the child has not been born. And sometimes when we read the New Testament, what we're doing is uh, perhaps reading over without stopping long enough to see what the text is actually saying and see the context of what's going on. And basically, what's happening is that the angel is telling a woman who is going to expect a child that her son is going to accomplish something that's called great going to be more than just great probably but that's the term we're going to use here he's telling them that uh, he will he'll become a king now we're going to deal with that in just a minute but but first of all let's let's just look at some of the other texts that correspond to what Gabriel is telling Mary because in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah chapter 9 at verse 6 and 7 God told Isaiah something about this same unborn child not born yet but is being told Mary's expectant mother is being told he will be great so in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 and 7 this text says and you're familiar with it I'm sure for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor the mighty God the everlasting father the Prince of Peace, of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon His kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Talking about a child. Not a grown person. Not someone that's already experienced all the different uh, vicissitudes of life. But a child. Okay. Daniel 2 at verse 44, Daniel was interpreting a dream that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had. Quite a dream. But in, in this dream, at verse 44, he says, Daniel says, in the days of these kings, and he's naming the Babylonian Empire, the Median Empire, Medo-Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire, and the Roman Empire before they were ever established. And he says, in the days of these kings, talking about the Roman Empire, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Doesn't say anything about the baby yet, but if we go to chapter 7 of Daniel, verse 13 and 14, Daniel had his dream. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And Daniel was interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2. Then in chapter 7, Daniel had a dream. 
And the text says at verse 13 and 14, he said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him, and there was given him a dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and tongues and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. These pronouncements, coming back to Gabriel talking to Mary, these pronouncements about a newborn child are expansive and presumptive. How was it possible that this babe could come to find himself as the head of a nation, the king of Israel, and then eventually be the king over the whole universe of humanity? The statement, he will be great, was made in anticipation of the facts that of his stature before his creator. Now these were not just hopeful words. We use those. Now we don't use them on a baby, and we don't use them on, on a mother who's expecting a baby, or on a mother who isn't even expecting a baby. But they use these words. These words were used on this expectant mother, before she was expecting, and upon a child that was never born, was way off in the distance, these words were used. But we usually, when we're talking with such presumptive presumption, and we're talking about someone succeeding, we usually talk to a child that has, is growing up, and, and we want to encourage them to do good things. So we will tell the child, well, you can just be anything you want to be. The sky's the limit, we'll tell them. If you want to grow up and, and you want to be a soldier, you can grow up and be a, a soldier and you can be a good one. You can be a hero or you can be a heroine if we're talking to a girl. You might even want to go to the moon. We can tell our daughters that. We can tell our sons that. We're telling them that there's, there's all sorts of things that you can do that, that, that are available to you. De Gaulle, General de Gaulle at the time, President de Gaulle later, the French, French president, when he was general, he used to arrange his troops and tell all the men standing before him before they went into a battle, he would tell them, every one of you, all you soldiers under my command, carry a baton in your knapsack. You know what he meant? He meant that they also had the ability to become a general like he was because he had the baton. We tell our children that, or we tell young people that, or we tell even, the, even our youth that are growing into manhood and womanhood, we tell them those things. We tell them even one day you might be president. But think about this. They were not telling this to a child. They were not telling this to a callow youth. They were not telling this to a youth in his strength. They were not telling this to a young man in his adulthood. They were telling this to someone that wasn't even born. To a mother, an expectant mother. And what were they saying? He will be called the Son of the Highest. He will sit upon the throne of David. He will reign over the house of Jacob. There will be no end to the increase of his government. He will be given a kingdom that will break in pieces all the kingdoms of the world. His kingdom will consume the kingdoms on earth. He will have dominion over all people, 
nations, tongues, languages. His kingdom will never be destroyed. It will never pass away. That's pretty aggressive, isn't it? What a statement to make to a woman that hasn't had a child yet, that that's going to happen with her child. When this young man, Jesus, turned 30 years of age, and we didn't know very little about him, but between the time he was born, that the scriptures tell us about, one incident, when he was 12 years old, he went to Jerusalem and got separated from his parents while he was in the temple talking about the word of God with the, with the lawyers and Pharisees. Know very little about him until a man by the name of John, his second cousin, Jesus' second cousin, announced out of the wilderness of Judea that a great person was soon to appear. A great person was coming. That was John the Baptist. Luke chapter 3 at verse 1 says, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Aturia, and of the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, the tetrarch of Abilene, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest. So he, he actually tells us this is when this is going to happen. This is when it was happening. The word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. He came into the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley will be filled, and every mountain will, and hill shall be wrought low, and the crooked will be made straight, and the rough ways will be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. By the way, that word salvation, it translated in many places, is the word Joshua, which means Jesus in Greek. Okay, when Jesus came to John at the River Jordan, 30 years old, he came to John and he was baptized. After John was imprisoned by Herod, Jesus went about preaching that his kingdom was coming. The kingdom of God was coming. Okay, Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 through 17 says, When Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region of shadow of death, light has sprung up. From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, that was what was promised in Daniel, wasn't it? Okay. After Jesus selected 12 men, they're called apostles, he sent them out to preach the same message. And that message is stated in Matthew chapter 10, verse 5 through 7. These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go, into the way of the, go not to the way of the Gentiles, or into any of the city of the Samaritans. Don't enter. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the time is coming. The kingdom is coming. And that kingdom was associated with the one who was going to be the king of Israel, the son of David, which was this child we're talking about. Before his death on the cross, Jesus told his disciples that that current generation he was talking to 
would see the kingdom come. They would see it. Okay. Luke chapter 21, verse 39 or 29 through 32. He spoke to them a parable. Behold, the fig tree and all the trees, when they now shoot forth, you see and know of your own selves that summer is near at hand. So likewise, when you see these things come to pass, know that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, talking to them, to the people, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. It was going to happen in their lifetime. He was rejected of his own nation. Jesus was. He was the son of David. He was supposed to take the throne of David. He was supposed to rule over Israel. But his people said, no, that's not going to happen. You're not it. You're not the one. Ephesians 1 verse 20 and 21 though says, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power, might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. So even though they rejected him, after his resurrection, God exalted him and put him at his own right hand, far above all principalities and powers in heaven and earth. So now then you have the child that was predicted or stated that was going to be great. He has become great. He is now sitting at the right hand of God. If he, or Hebrews chapter 1 or verse 3 says, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged all sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. The king. Colossians 3.1 If you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. The writers of the New Testament are telling us that Jesus, after his resurrection, was taken into heaven and was set on the right hand of the Father above. So now then, what, what do we have? Well, we have the king that is sitting in his kingdom on his throne at the right hand of God, exalted above all the nations of this earth. Now, Revelation 1 verse 5 says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. The kingdom came. Jesus was resurrected. He was taken up into heaven. Now our problem generally is, and it's a problem that humanity has suffered with from the time that it happened until now. How do we understand what went on? What happened? How is Jesus accomplishing all the things that the prophets said were going to happen? How was he placed above all the kingdoms of the earth? How was he exalted? How was he enthroned? How is his kingdom abolishing all the other kingdoms? How is that happening or when is it going to happen? And our problem basically is that we don't understand what the text was talking about when it talks about his kingdom. We just don't understand it. We don't understand him as a king. They didn't understand it then. And many of us today don't understand it. From the time that Jesus rose from the dead until now and projecting on into the future, Jesus began consuming all the kingdoms of the world, placing all the inhabitants of earth under his healing wings. He has been bringing light into the darkest corners of the world by the gospel message. He has unshackled all those whose hearts were chained to this earth. 
He has lifted up the souls of the desperate and calmed the quaking hearts of the captives who serve under a cruel despot. That has been going on. Now to understand this, we sometimes have to go back and understand what, what a kingdom really is. And then we'll get some idea of what his kingdom is. Okay? Follow with me. A kingdom today has a ruler or rulers. It either has a monarch or a group of monarchs. It either has a supreme authority or authorities that are distributed among several different classes of individuals that are called rulers. Kings, queens, despots, whatever it may be, somebody is ruling in some area, in some country. United States, we have a different government. We have a a democratic society, but it's still a government. It's a human government. It's a kingdom. Great Britain has a queen and will eventually have a king. So what we're having now, they have a king now. He's been coronated. But the point is that each nation has and each government has and each kingdom has someone ruling over it somehow. And they either, either have gained that rule by lineage, by being of a royal bloodline, or by perhaps being overthrown by another country, just like Russia's trying to overthrow the uh, Uganda. No. Where? Ukraine. I knew it. I just couldn't say it. Okay. They're trying to overcome that, overtake that country, and they'll try to overtake others. And of course, we're looking at places like China and and the. North Korea and places like that that are having the same aspirations. They want to overwhelm and overtake another country and they want to do it by force. And that's how a kingdom is exercised, by force. Now it's exercised by force through successors, through ideology, through individuals who say, okay, this is the type of government we want. These are the people we want ruling that government, or if you have no say at all, you just have to acquiesce and say, well, I've got, I've, what I've got is what I've got, and I can't do anything about it. Or you overthrow that government and try to install another government by coup. So we're talking about kingdoms and how they work. Kings who have authority and power and have the, the might and the muscle of a military in order to make sure that their will is imposed upon the civilization upon the the, the uh, occupants of that area and it's, sometimes it's, it's done by the elite sometimes it's done by the landed sometimes it's done by the by the wealthy sometimes it's controlled simply by those who have a personal power and and, and uh, different exchanges among themselves by uh, society within itself anyway the the government is controlled by powerful people. So we know, basically, what a kingdom is. What we don't know, or should know, is that that's not the way the kingdom of God is. So when we, when we begin to think about how the kingdom of Christ overcomes these other kingdoms, we have to think in different terms, in different ways. The, the kingdom of, or government that Jesus came into was the Roman government. And they had, they had of course, the, the Caesar who had, was ensconced in Rome and then they had the 
prelates below them. They had the ambassadors that went out. They had different governors that took control of different areas of the world. But anyway, it was, it was a kingdom. And when Jesus stood before one of the representatives of this, king, this type of kingdom, named Pilate, in John chapter 18, verse 33-36, it says, Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, saying, Do you say this of yourself, or did others tell it to you? Pilate said, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered, me, delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. Else would my servants fight. Now, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not like yours. That's where we mess up. Because we think the kingdom of Jesus has to be like those kingdoms. That's where we make our mistake. If we make a mistake. You probably haven't made the mistake. But some people have. And I did for a long time. I kept thinking, well, a kingdom has a king. It has a territory. It has a law. It has a population. So that's how I figured it out. But Jesus said, my kingdom is not like that. Now then, that puts us in a different aspect, doesn't it? The prophet spoke of the difference of the kingdom of God. And I want to read one in Isaiah chapter 42. It's kind of a long reading, so bear with me, please. Isaiah 42, verse 1 through 9. And he's talking about Jesus. He said, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect, in whom my soul delights. We know he's talking about Jesus. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. The word Gentiles is nations. He'll bring forth judgment to the nations. He shall not cry. You mean he's not going to riot in the streets? He's not going to raise protest? He's not going to get a gang together to overcome, overthrow your kingdom? Wait a minute. He shall not lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. He's not going to be standing around with a big megaphone trying to draw a crowd and get people to overthrow the government. A bruised reed shall he not break. Smoking flax he'll not quench. He's not going to burn anything down. He shall, not bring, he shall bring forth judgment unto, unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth and the isles, the nations, shall wait for his law. Thus saith the Lord the God, that created the heavens and stretched forth, stretched them out. He spread forth the earth, that which comes out of it. He gives breath unto the people upon it, and spirit to them that walk therein. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will uphold your hand and will keep you and give you, he's talking about Jesus, a covenant, a law, for the people, for a light unto the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, them that sit in darkness out of the prison house, I am the Lord, that's my name, and my glory will not, I, I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Before, behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things I declare. I declare new things. Wait. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them, new things. The kingdom of God was going to be new, not like anything they had seen before. It was going to be new. As a matter of fact, that's what 
John said in Revelation 21 verse 5, he said, He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Okay. Let's talk about the kingdom. When we talk about the kingdom, the fact that it was so new, that it was so different, that when Jesus began to tell his apostles about it and tell the people, the crowds that came up to hear him, when he began to tell them about it, he didn't tell them in terms that we just talked about. He didn't tell them in terms of ideology, how that you, you, can, you can take one position and, and you can spread this position around and, and people pretty soon will agree with what you're saying and they can overthrow or overwhelm the government or they can change the policy or they can change the laws or they can change the, the individuals who are, use, who are ruling or, or they can in, exercise their influence through powerful influencers. He, he, didn't, he didn't talk about that. When he talked about the kingdom, here's how he talked about it in Matthew chapter 13. It's a series of parables in which he's, he's likening the kingdom. He said, let me tell you, the kingdom of heaven is like this. This is what it's like. He said, it's like a planted field where you plant seed in the ground and the seed comes up. That's how the kingdom is. Well, that, that's a mystery, isn't it? It's always a mystery to me when new life springs forth. Isn't it to you? Isn't it mysterious to you how you can put a seed in the ground and out of it will come a plant? It doesn't even look like the seed. It sure looks different to me. So he said, it's, it's like that. He said, this is what my kingdom is like. He said, it's like a mustard seed. Little bitty tiny thing. It's like a mustard seed. It'll, it'll grow into something that'll spread way out and spread its branches everywhere. He said it's like leaven in dough. Some of you ladies that cook and some of you men that cook, men that cook and make bread. Isn't that mysterious to you how that you can put leaven in dough and it'll raise it so that it can cook and bake? He said that's what my kingdom is like. He said it's like a treasure. You look for it and you find it and you rejoice when you find it. Well, there's no kingdom on earth like that other than the kingdom of Jesus. He said, it's like a pearl of great price. Once you get it, don't turn it loose. He said, it's like a net that's cast wide and brings in all sorts of treasure. He said, that's what it's like. And when we talk about rulers, what did he say about rulers in his kingdom? He said, well, the great, the great will be the littlest, the smallest. Wow. The big one will be the little one. That's what he said, Mark, Matthew eighteen four. He said, "Whosoever will be will humble himself this little as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven." Matthew twenty six verse twenty six through twenty seven. He says, "It shall not be so among you." They were arguing about who would be the the leader, who would sit on the right hand, who would sit on the left hand of Jesus. The the apostles were arguing about that, and wondering when the kingdom comes, are we going to have our place on the right hand and left hand of you? that was the son of Zebedee, sons of Zebedee. He said, It won't be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. And the citizenship, who, who will make up all the citizens in the kingdom? There's a text that we, we sometimes pass over, and just we, we call it the Beatitudes. But the Beatitudes basically are based on this concept. He's talking about the type of people that will be in the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's talking about. 
And so in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The humble. Blessed are they that mourn, they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are those which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. That's going to happen in the kingdom. That's what he's talking about. James 2 at verse 5 says, Hearken, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to them that love him? Did you know that the kingdom of God, that the word of God presents the kingdom of God? It, it is the word of the kingdom. And that on every continent on this earth, the word of God is gone. And people have heard about Jesus the king. And they have decided that they were going to give their lives to King Jesus, to the prince of princes, to the prince of the kings of this earth. His name is magnified. The name of Jesus is magnified under the threats of every despot on earth. And his name has been confessed in the face of every critic on earth. Every knee can bow to him willingly and do bow to him willingly without coercion. The name of Jesus, Jesus himself, is adored by every believer and is admired by the harshest of every critic, unbeliever. His name is on the tongue of the reverent and the irreverent. There is none like him, and there is none to be compared with him. He is the Son of God, the Prince of the kings of the earth. His kingdom is not of this world. It is new, and it is different. In Luke chapter 17, verse 20 and 21, when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God comes not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo, here, lo, there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Rulers have long recognized that in order to keep their subjects under control, they have to indoctrinate them. They have to convince them that they have to obey. And if they can't convince them through logic and argumentation, they convince them through power, through exertion of power and authority. Lenin, one of the major advocates of communism, is purported to have said this. He said, give me one generation of youth and I will transform the world. He'll make the world into a communist globe. Give me one generation of youth and I'll transform the world. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't say, I'll take your children and I'll indoctrinate them and I'll transform the world. What Jesus said was, I'll take the grown man and the grown woman and I'll make them a child. And that's the way I'll transform the world. He said, if, if, in order for you to come into the kingdom, you have to be born again. That's what he told Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to him and said, we know your teacher comes from God. Jesus said, except a man be born again of water and spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, 
As little children, you enter the kingdom when you're born again. There are three and a half billion people on this earth who have, to some degree or another, committed their allegiance to Jesus. They live on every continent of the world. They exist under, under a wide variety of governments, but they recognize that they are subject to, first and foremost, to the government of Jesus, the Son of God. They recognize that in some form or another. Whether they do everything you think they ought to do or not, they at least recognize that there's one name above every name on earth. And that's the name of Jesus. They voluntarily risk their, risk their well-being to acknowledge their faith in Jesus. Some have to meet privately in risk of their death and their, their life itself is imperiled, but they still believe that Jesus is their king. And they recognize him that way and they bow their knee to him. Some die because they will not deny Jesus as the Christ. Is he king? Is he king over all? His name has gone off all over the world. People all over the world bow their knee to him. They sing his praises. They acknowledge that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And they recognize that he is their supreme authority. His life, the life of Jesus, commands respect. His resurrection inspires hope. His death instills reverence. His guidance creates confidence. His promise soothes our troubles. His voice calms our hearts. His kingdom is here, and He is great. Will you stand with me while, while we sing this song of invitation? <laughs> 